Sorry, morning everyone. And thank you so much, Donna, for how you've led us this morning. Thank you, Camilla and, and Holly, for what you've shared. I look forward to hearing more from Holly later. I, I'd like you to do me a favor. I want you to take a look at what you're wearing, okay? I don't want you to worry about what anyone else has got on. I want you just to check out your own outfit. And then I want you to ask yourself two questions. Here are the two questions. One, are you wearing anything you probably shouldn't be? And secondly, is there anything missing? Right? Now, I realize I'm venturing into some dangerous territory here. And this actually might uh, sound like the intro to an episode of Trini and Susanna's What Not to Wear. But as we get back into Ephesians, and specifically chapter 4, we are going to be thinking about what we've got on. And we are going to be thinking about what we might need to take off. Not literally, you'll be glad to know, but, but as we read our Bible text for today, it's, it's that daily experience of taking off and putting on clothing that Paul draws on and uses to reinforce his teaching. It, it's been over two months since our last look at Ephesians, but for those who've been following this series, you will recall that as you get into chapter 4, which is the second half of the letter, Ephesians is kind of divided into two chapters, 1, 2, and 3, and then 4, 5, and 6. And as you get into chapter 4, Paul is appealing to Christians. He's urging them to live a life worthy of their calling, worthy of their gospel calling. So for three chapters, he's been clarifying Christian identity, our identity. And he's been explaining how that as a result of the amazing grace of God that has been lavished on us, and as a result of the incredible transition that has taken place in our lives from being dead in our transgressions and our sins to being made alive in Christ, that as a result of those things, we are, and then here's our identity, we are saints, we are believers, we are in Christ, we are blessed, we are chosen, we are adopted children of God, we are drenched, we are covered in grace, we're redeemed, we're forgiven, we're sealed, we're secure, we're alive, we're saved, we're raised up with Christ, we're seated with Christ, we are God's masterpiece, God's work of art. This is our true ID. And if anybody didn't get one of these wee cards and still wants one, speak to me afterwards. But as we come into the second, that's all been in chapters one, two, and three. But as we come into the second half of the letter, Paul starts to spell out how we should live in light of this. And so he begins chapter four by saying, as a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you, Live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Now, sorry, now to live the life. And then he goes on to explain how you do that. So in the first 16 verses, and we looked at this back in June, he tells the Christians to pursue unity. That what it means to live a life worthy of the calling is to bear with one another in love. You've got to maintain the unity of the Spirit recognizing that we are one body, one spirit, there's one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. And so what Paul says is a key aspect of this is that you've got to discover and you've got to use your God-given grace gifts to serve one another. We thought about this. 
And we ask the question, what is your spiritual gift? How are you using it to serve one another? You've got to serve one another in using your God-given grace gift to build up the body of Christ so that we can become mature together. That's the first 16 verses of chapter 4. Then you come to verse 17 and what follows. And Paul is telling the saints in Ephesus and us in Belfast that what it means to live a life worthy of the calling you've received is to be, if we're going to have the next one, uh, Jonathan, to be distinctly different. We have got to pursue godliness and purity. You see, in light of their true ID, how these people lived, what they thought about, the choices they made, how they behaved, their lifestyle and their conduct, those things really mattered. And that as Christians and as saints, their day-to-day lives have got to be different, distinctly different from the world around them and from their pre-Christian lives. And as Paul stresses this, he tells them, listen, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take certain things off. Shed them, ditch them. I want you to put other things on just as you do every day in getting dressed and undressed. And so, let's stand together for the public reading of God's fashionable word. As we listen to further instructions about what it means to live a Christian life. So I tell you this, says Paul, and I insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding. They're separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. And having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and you were taught in him in, him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. To be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self that is created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Please grab a seat. You see, Christians have got to be different. They've got to live differently. They they just have. They simply can't and mustn't blend in like chameleons. They've got to be distinctive, says Paul. Why? In light of your true identity. And in verse 17, Paul tells his readers, listen, you can no longer, you must no longer live like non-Christians around you. Those you live beside, those you work with, You've got to be different. And notice that that Paul doesn't suggest this. He insists on it. In fact, he goes further. He insists on it in the Lord. In other words, he says this with the authority, the full authority of Jesus. And so this isn't optional for Christians. This is essential. So I tell you, he writes this, and I insist on it in the Lord. You can no longer live as the Gentiles do. 
how you think, your attitude, your conduct, your lifestyle. It's just got to be different. You cannot live like non-believers in the futility of their thinking. Now, that does not mean that non-Christians do not think or that everything they think is bad and pointless. What Paul is getting at here is the fact that their thinking is not primarily shaped by God. Their moral decisions, their lifestyle choices are not entirely influenced by God. But instead, they do their own thing. They live their own way. They follow the crowd. They follow the prevailing culture. Their mindset isn't God-orientated. It is not Scripture-based or Scripture-infused. And Paul then goes on to explain how the Christians in Ephesus and how we here in Belfast, you've got to be different. If this is your true identity, if you are a saint, if you're in Christ, if you're sealed, if you're forgiven, all of those things. Paul then goes on to explain how you should be different. And as he does that, he paints a pretty depressing and bleak, and I've no doubt some would say offensive, picture of the lives of non-Christians. The Gentiles who are not part of this Christian community in the city of Ephesus. And so he says, they are darkened in their understanding. They're separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. And they are full of greed. Now, as I say, this does not go down well. This sounds harsh. This sounds insulting. And so, some of you may be feeling that this morning. You're uncomfortable. But what Paul is doing here is he, as he speaks to the church, hear me? As he speaks to the church and as he speaks to Christians, he is not directing this at, he is not having a pop at non-Christians for now. Paul is urging, Paul is insisting in the Lord that those who are Christians should have different minds, different hearts, different lifestyles. If you are a Christian, you've got to have a different mind, different heart, and a different way of doing life. Darkness hardness, recklessness. This is how Paul sums up and characterizes the lives of non-believers in verses 18 and 19. Now listen, what he's saying is this. They are darkened in their understanding, in their spiritual understanding. In other words, their thinking is skewed when it comes to God. And why is that? Well, Paul says in another one of his letters, because the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. And their hearts, he says, are hard. They have got hard hearts of stone towards God and the things. Well, they don't know God. They don't love God with all of their heart. There is, as he said in those verses, there's separation. And their lifestyles, their lifestyles are reckless. They are willing to indulge in every kind of impurity. There are little or no boundaries. They do whatever they want. They do whatever they feel like doing. And their appetites are rarely satisfied. They're always wanting more. Their conscience, if you like, is dysfunctional. 
It's insensitive towards God. Now, as you look around us today, if you turn on any news channel, read any tabloid broadsheet, listen and observe what's going on, I reckon those somewhat depressing truths about our world would soon be acknowledged. There is darkness. There is hardness. There is recklessness. But the point here The reason Paul is highlighting these realities is to tell and to teach and to instruct Christians, listen guys, you've got to be different. You've got to live a life worthy of your calling. You've got to live out your true identity, your new identity in Christ, which means you have got to think differently with renewed minds. And we'll come back to that. Your hearts should be different. Instead of hard hearts of stone, you should have hearts of flesh. As God promised via Ezekiel, I'll give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit in you. I'll take out your stony, stubborn heart. I'll give you a tender, responsive heart. I will give you a soft heart. And your life, your life has got to be different. There should be no impurity, no greed. There should be no inappropriate sexual activity and lustful pleasure. Now, does this mean there won't be? No, we all know Christians who lust. Who are greedy. Who are hard. But you know something? They shouldn't be. They shouldn't behave like this. And it's why Paul is driving this teaching home. And so as he continues, he turns the spotlight on Jesus. Verses 20, 21, because as a result of Jesus, you have a new identity, an entirely new way of living that has got to be shaped by Jesus and by his teaching. Look at verses 20, 21. That, however, is not the way of life that you learned. When you heard about Christ and you were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, these Christians and all Christians, you know Jesus. You know his teaching. And therefore, it's Jesus and his life and his attitude and his values and his words that should be shaping your mind, that should be impacting your hearts, that should be powerfully dictating your lifestyle. All we say, all we think, all we do should reflect Jesus and should honor Jesus. But as I've said, this doesn't always mean we do this or get this. I wonder how many of us this week have thought things, have entertained feelings, have engaged in practices, have behaved in certain ways that quite frankly contradict our claims to follow Jesus and they send confusing signals about our identity as saints and as Christians. Paul's aware of this tension. And he's aware of the challenges. And therefore, he pushes on into this. And look at verse 22. As this, the next one there for me, Jonathan. As this idea of of kind of taking off and putting on begins to kick in, he says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Now, please stay with me here because this is so important. Whenever you become a Christian, and and I know 
In a sense, I'm preaching to the choir. And most people in here would identify themselves as such. But whenever you become a Christian, you are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All that we have talked about in chapters 1 to 3 is true of us because of Jesus. So we are saints, we are forgiven, we are chosen, we are blessed, we are adopted, we are drenched, and we are covered in grace, etc., etc. But a key aspect, and please get this, a key aspect of Christian discipleship involves and means living in the light of and in the wake of what Jesus has done in us. We have got to walk this out. We have got to align our day-to-day lives with the reality of who we are in Christ. The old self still lingers. And scripture and personal experience, and I'll stand up here as one who can testify to this, teaches us that no one has ever succeeded in shedding the garments of the old life with one solitary, unrepeated action. As Christians, I am still tempted. I still get it wrong. The old self still vies for for control. It can still be fed. It can still be entertained. And I have fed it this week. And I have entertained it this week. And so Paul urges the Christians here, will you please take off your old self on an ongoing basis? As one writer puts it, those who live holy lives do so by repeated put-offs. But you know something? The problem is that the old garments feel so comfortable and natural. Not only that, we've worn some of them for so long that we've got so used to them and we don't notice how inappropriate they look on us. And Paul's urging these Christians, and that's why I did it at the very start, he's urging these Christians, take a look at what you're wearing. Make sure that certain ways of thinking and behaving and acting are being taken off on a regular basis, just like you take off your clothes each day and you put others on. And so when we need to earth this, what might you this morning need to take off? Is there a Christian, is there anyone here this morning struggling with lust? or with accessing inappropriate material online. You need to take it off. You need to shed it on a daily basis. What about pride? What about bitterness? What about covetousness and greed? Does anyone here this morning need to take any of those things off? You see, many Christians stumble because of this. Because they don't realize it. But the truth is, our old self will and may have to be put off on a daily basis as long as we live. Yes, we have been forgiven in Christ, but we still need to confess our sins. Yes, we are holy in Christ, but God's word urges us to pursue holiness and sanctification on an ongoing basis. Yes, we have the Holy Spirit in our lives, but as Paul makes clear in Galatians 5, you've got to live by the Spirit and not by the desires of the flesh, which as Paul makes clear in the book to the Galatian Christians, are in conflict with each other on a daily basis. 
And so if, as Christians, if we are going to live this life worthy of our calling, lives that are distinctly different from non-Christians, then we may need to be putting off, literally taking off certain things this morning. Is there anything I need to take off here this morning? A materialistic mindset? A sense of pride? An unhealthy practice? A bad attitude? Now to live the life. Back to our text. I'm nearly done. But Paul isn't finished. He doesn't just leave it at that. He doesn't just want to talk about what we must put off. He also wants to say what you've got to put on. But even before he goes there, he offers some advice that may be familiar if you were around during the summer as we looked at Romans chapter 12. Here in Ephesians chapter 4, the next one please, John. Here in Ephesians chapter 4, he says, instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. So it's echoes of Romans 12 too. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, we're not left to our own devices. We're not left to do this on our own, in our own strength. As Christians, as I said earlier, we have been sealed. We have been secured by the Holy Spirit. That's part of our identity. And so we must allow the indwelling Holy Spirit to continually reshape our way of thinking, which then enables us to resist the deceitful desires, which then enables us to put off the old self. Remember, and this is part of the reason why we're going to do a Sunday evening series very soon on the Holy Spirit, is that the Holy Spirit is our helper. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. The Holy Spirit is our guide. And it would seem that a key area of the Holy Spirit's renewing work is within our minds. Let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes, says Paul. And how does the Spirit do that? Well, one absolute definite way is via the reading of, the studying of, the meditating upon the Word of God. As we engage with Scripture, this is what Scripture teaches, as we engage with Scripture, God by the Holy Spirit and God's Holy Spirit helps us to understand it and apply its truths, apply its teaching, apply its content, and therefore it is very that as Christians we are Bible people. How is your Bible reading and engagement going? How has it been this week? If we're going to live this life, if we're going to let the Spirit renew our thoughts and our attitudes, if we're going to avoid skewed thinking, if we're going to be distinctly different and live distinctly different lives, then it is imperative that we are reading Scripture, that we are exposed to Scripture on a regular and a consistent basis. And if your personal interaction with God's Word has reduced or is reducing or is non-existent, then can I please urge you in the Lord to make the daily choice to change that. Let the Spirit, says Paul, who indwells you, seals you, means you're secure. Let the Holy Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. And then we come to Paul's last instruction for now, verse 24. And to put on the new self that is created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. You see, this daily taking off has got to be accompanied by a daily putting on. We must learn how to dress properly. Yes, they were Christians. This new self is their new identity in Christ as a result of being made alive in Christ and becoming a Christian. But they need to wear it. They need to display it. 
This is about discipleship. This is about growing and becoming more like Jesus. It's about becoming in practice what we already are in status. We are saints, and so we must now live accordingly. We must walk this out, walk as Christ walked on a day-to-day basis. We must show that our thinking is being transformed, that our hearts are responsive, that they are soft, that they are tender towards God and towards people, that our lifestyles, they are characterized by godliness and purity. And so here in verse 24, Paul tells us what characterizes this new self. It is like God. Think about that. It is like God in true righteousness and holiness. And as Christians, Paul says, put it on. Wear it. Do it on an ongoing daily basis. Otherwise, you will compromise and you will be inappropriately dressed. And you know what? You'll just blend in. Today, I choose to follow you. Chose years ago to do it. Today, I choose to take off and put on. And in verses 25 and following, Paul gets very specific about exactly what Christians need to be taking off and putting on, and we'll get there in two weeks' time. But for now, let me get you to do what I asked you to do at the beginning. Please, take a look at what you're wearing this morning. Take a look at what you've got on. Is it the old self? Characterized by faulty thinking and a hard heart and a compromised lifestyle. How much do you need to take off today? How much do you need to put on? We're going to finish with... uh, a song, I'm going to ask the, the guys to come back. Uh, it's a song we know. It's a quiet song. It's a reflective song. And I do want to give an opportunity for response this morning. Quiet response, just personal response, individual response. I'm not going to ask you to do anything at all. I'm going to invite you to remain seated. And we're going to sing Purify My Heart. Let me be as gold and precious. And the reason I've asked us to close with this song is because there's a line in the chorus that says, I choose to be holy. Because it's a choice. And so this morning, you will either choose to take certain things off that are meaning that you blend in, that your thinking is faulty, that your heart is hard. You will choose to do it or you will choose not to do it. And you will choose to put other things on. Things that confirm your identity as a Christian.